Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and as you turn there, I want to tell you a little story of sorts. Uh, when I, the summer before I got married, I was, I'd been dating my beautiful, well, she wasn't my wife, she was my friend, and uh, we were dating, we'd been dating for some time, and I, we were getting married in September, and all that summer, well, in the spring and the summer, I was working at a place called Honey Rock, and it was a camp for young kids, uh, you know, maybe like eight to 14 years old. It was kind of that middle, middle school range, and we did all sorts of things. We would take kids on backpacking trips and canoe trips for weeks at a time and things like that, and then there was, there was all kinds of stuff you did at the camp, you know, lots of activities and all of that, and then you would leave the camp on these trips, and the, the area I was involved in, the trips were about two weeks at a time, but they had trips that they did for 30 days. I, I didn't ever do any of those. And at the camp, there was all different kind of levels of, of people, you know, and you'd see people come in from different walks of life, and they just, they love God, they love kids, you know, and they wanted to help, and we were getting college credit for being there, and so some of these guys would come in, they just have a heart for Jesus, heart for kids, and they're just ready to do something, you know, and so you'd ask them, okay, well, do, do you have any outdoor experience? No. Well, okay, have you ever been camping? No. Okay, um, do you have any wilderness skills whatsoever? No. Okay, well, we might have to put you in the kitchen, all right? You might be cooking burgers or something like that, you know? And there were all these things you could do. There's all these certifications you could get if you wanted to do more. But they were limited in what they could do. A person was limited in what they could do by what level of skill they had or what level of skill they were willing to get, what level of training they were willing to get, willing to acquire. And so I remember when I was there, I I'd already had a good bit of outdoor experience, but while I was there, I got all kinds of, you know, certifications. We did rock climbing certification, rappelling, survival skills, wilderness navigation, canoe and water rescue, first aid, CPR, you know, all these different things. And every one you would get would change what type of trip you could lead. You know, they wouldn't let you lead a trip for obvious reasons. They wouldn't let you lead a certain trip unless you had certain levels of certifications. And if you only had a few levels, then you maybe could do this trip. But if you wanted to ever lead this, you had to get these levels of certification. So every, with every certification you got, the more you could do, or you could say the more you could advance. Ah, oh, now you see where I was going with it. Okay, that's, that's the series we're in is advance, and we're talking about how to advance in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom's a lot like that. Now, I want you to, I want you to listen to me this morning, because I have pastored a lot of people in my lifetime, not just this church. I've been around Christians. I'm an expert on Christians, knowing Christians, being around Christians, knowing how Christians think, all right? I just, I've been around them my whole life, and I know how Christians think, and this is what you see a lot people that come into the kingdom, come into the church, and their hearts are gold. They want to help. They want to do. They want to they serve. They want to do something for God. And I've, I've, you've heard me say this in this series. If you want to be used by God, make yourself useful. 
God will use you when you make yourself useful. And here's the reason I bring up the honey rock is because same thing. I think sometimes when I say that, when I say, well, if you want to be used for God, make yourself useful, I think a lot of Christians go, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean make? How do I make myself? Read my Bible more? I don't, what do I do? Well, it's just like at Honey Rock, there's certain things you could do, and just having the right heart was not enough. Just wanting to impact lives, not enough. You could be used again. You go in the kitchen and cook burgers, and that's doing something. That's serving an amazing purpose, and that, that need, that's needed. But when people say, man, I want to do something for God. I want to move ahead. I want to do great things for God. And I hear that a lot as a pastor. Periodically, people that have been serving the Lord for a while, maybe two, five years, they, get, they, they can feel it. They can tell. I've kind of stagnated. I'm not advancing. I'm not moving forward. And they come to me and they say, man, I, I really want to do something for God. And I think what they're thinking when they say that is, hey, put me somewhere. You know, help, help me. How do I do this? And this is what the mindset that we have to have is when we have made ourselves useful for God, okay, when we have allowed Him to take us through certain processes and give us certain skills and certain requirements, because there are prerequisites to be used by God, when we allow God to take us through that process, it's not a question of whether He's going to use you or not. How many of you were coaching, if you were a... See, I was a big Chicago Bulls fan back in the day, and I love Michael Jordan. I love watching Michael Jordan play. And can you imagine being Michael Jordan? Can you imagine being, having to coach Michael Jordan? I mean, I'm thinking, he, he knows more than you do. What, you know, how, what are you going to tell him? But if you were coaching Michael Jordan, it'd be like having Michael Jordan on the, on the bench. What coach is going to sit Michael Jordan on the bench when you got Michael Jordan? You, you're going to put Michael Jordan in the game. And... You have to understand, God doesn't have that many people. Okay, if you, look at, if you look at the whole planet and you look at the church, let me just assure you of this. There's not that many people that have paid the price and are actually useful to God to accomplish His work and His kingdom. So if you've made yourself useful, I can guarantee you He's not going to sit you on the bench because He just doesn't have that many people to put in the game in the first place. It's not like God just has an overflow of people to use and the, and the reason he doesn't is because most people, even Christians, are not willing to pay the price that is necessary to become useful to God. Oh, we have the desire to be used by God. Oh, we, we see the, the, the value in that. But when we realize the severe and extreme price that is required to make yourself useful for God, the sacrifice that's involved... The prayer, the selflessness that is involved in being made useful for God, that's usually when that little statement that gets made, oh, I want to be used by God. Well, here are the requirements. All of a sudden we go, you know what? I think I will just stay in the kitchen flipping burgers. I think I'm fine with that because I'm not quite ready to win because I've got all these other things going on in my life and I'd have to give up something to do this. And so there's a, but there's a process. And most people... Nobody wants to hear this, but most people overestimate where they're at in life, overestimate where they're at with God. It doesn't always match reality. And if you humble yourself, and if you submit yourself to God and you say, God, I do want to be used by you, here's what you're really saying. You're saying, God, I am ready to enter a process of training 
I'm ready to enter a process where you break me down and you show me everything in my life that's wrong and that needs to change, and then you build me back up again so that I can be useful for you. That's really what you're saying when you say, God, I want to be used by you. It'd be like if you went... If you decided tomorrow you was going to be a professional boxer and you ain't never thrown a punch in your life and you go to a coach and you say, hey, I want to be a boxer. What are you really saying? You're saying, I'm, I want to enter a process that is going to be unbelievably difficult over the next several years. And so when a, pers- when a Christian all of a sudden looks at their life and they're unhappy and they look at their life and they realize they're living selfishly and they look at their life and they're getting older and they haven't done much for God, a lot of times they'll wake up and they'll go, I, my life is short. My life's half over. That's what we call midlife crisis, you know. Or you get older and you go, I haven't done much for God. I really want to do more for God. Well, when you wake up and have that moment, just understand what you're saying is, I am ready to enter this process that God has. And I don't know how many of you in here this morning are thinking that or ready for that. But as far as I'm concerned, that's my only purpose here on the planet. I have no other purpose. Everything else is secondary to that. And I have other goals in my life, other things I'd like to see, right? I'd like to have a nice family. I'd like to live a comfortable life. I'd like to be successful in other areas. But, you know, every one of those things at some point in my life has been put on the altar. Every one of those things at some point in my life I've had to sacrifice in order to do the will of God. I don't know how many times... God has asked me to do things, go places, be with people that required me to take other things that were really important to me and crucify them. But I did it because his purpose and his kingdom was number one in my life. We're in this series called Advance, and what I want to talk to you about this morning is how do we enter into that process with God? Now, many are already in that process, but see, we all have, it's almost like Every Christian has a limit of how far they're willing to allow God to take them. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll start reading my Bible a little more. Oh, okay, sure, I'll pray. Oh, yeah, I'll serve a little bit here at the church. I'll do. And so, yeah, you, you do move up, and then you hit, a, you hit a ceiling. And what is that ceiling? That ceiling is your willingness to do what is necessary to go further. That ceiling is what we might call your will. There's God's will, then there's your will. And you go, well... I keep bumping up here. I went so far and I got to here and I haven't gone past. Why? Because for a lot of people, their life is not 100% submitted to God. Their life, they still hold on to portions and parts of their life. But what I want to tell you is, is that God has a process for developing his leaders. How many of you know our military has a process for developing soldiers? I don't care what branch you're in, you're going to go to some form of boot camp, right? And they've been doing this for decades, decades. No one is special. You go in, if you want to go to this, or you want to do this, you want to get to this point, there's a process. You're going to go through this, this, and this. And they pretty much spit out people that have looked the same, have certain skills on one end. Listen, God has a process. And God's process is better than the military because he's God. God has a process. God has a process. He knows how to develop people. He knows how to train people for his purposes and his call. If you have a call on your life, 
to do anything. If you have a call on your life to be in ministry, if you have a call on your life to be a business owner, God knows how to develop you. He has a process. And if you will submit to that process, you'll end up being what you need to be for God. But so many people resist that process. You know why? Because it's optional. You have to decide. You have to go willingly. As Jesus said, you have to take up your own cross. He doesn't force anybody to do it. Now, he forced Jonah, but that, don't worry about that. That was something else. But God doesn't force you. People submit to it. They yield to that process. And however much they yield to it is how much God's able to do with them. I don't think many Christians understand this. I really, I really don't. I, like I said, I've been around Christians a long time, and I don't think many Christians really grasp and understand this. I think a lot of Christians just think, well, if God wants to do something with me, he'll do it. If God wants to, you know, one day open this big door for me, and I'll just walk in, and all these miraculous things just start happening. And, you know, it'll just be God. It'll, it'll be awesome. No, go read your Bible. That's not how it happens. Every man woman that God had a plan for, often they were revealed the plan, then they went through about 15 to 20 years of desert wilderness training to get ready for that plan. You remember Joseph? Joseph got the dream. He told his brothers, he's like, man, I'm going to be ruling over all of y'all. This is going to be great. He didn't realize the next 15 to 17 years of his life he was going to be in dungeons as a slave, getting falsely accused, going to prison. He didn't realize that that was the next years of his life. What about Moses? Moses got his calling from God. He ends up killing an Egyptian and spending 40 years on the backside of the desert. 40 years thinking he was washed up. People don't realize by the time Moses went back to Egypt, he was 80. He was 80 years old. <laughs> Jesus spent 30 years of his life for a Three-year ministry, training, getting ready, preparing. That's God's process. I don't think a lot of Christians understand this. I think a lot of Christians think that, well, I got saved, and that's, that's it, right? I believe. Because we're taught that so much. Well, man, all you got to do is believe. All you got to do is believe Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You'll be saved. Confess it with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Pray the sinner's prayer. You'll be saved. And you're on to glory. Well, praise God for that. That is true. But, you know, there's a lot of saved, unuseful people. <laughs> because they never did anything beyond that. Now, I'm going to show you this from Scripture. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Just in case you think I'm being a little harsh, I want to read you what Peter said. And by the way, Peter's nicer than Paul. So that we still hadn't even got to Paul yet. 1 Peter 1.5, he says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Stop right there. See, that's the Christian that has got saved and he did, he did nothing else. He got saved. Praise God, he's on his way to glory. But now he hasn't gone to work. You know, if, if we didn't have work to do, if we didn't have things to accomplish, then when you got saved, you, you should have just been zapped up to heaven for eternity because you had nothing else to do down here. The reason you stay here the reason once you get saved, you remain on this planet is because now you have enlisted in God's army. You've enlisted in his service. It's not to stay down here so you can just keep living your own life. 
when you stay after salvation, it's because God needs you. He needs all of us to do something for him. Amen? This is what Paul said. Peter, for this very reason, make every effort, effort, make every effort to supplement your faith. See, he says you already have faith. Now, we're gonna, now I'm going to talk to you, though, about how to supplement it, how to add to it, how to grow beyond just, oh, I'm saved. So he says, yeah, you're saved, but make every effort. Everybody say every effort. Every effort. See, that's a word that we don't like to talk about in church. I've literally had people get aggravated with me in this church because we talked about effort. Well, the gospel, there's no effort to the gospel. It's all God. No, it's not. Read your Bible. It's not all God. No, that's why he told you, make every effort. Salvation was all God. Doesn't matter how much effort you had, you could never save yourself. But after you've been saved and you've been empowered with the grace of God... And his anointing, you're supposed to use that grace and that power to make every effort. So, so Peter's talking to believers and he says, praise God you've been saved. Praise God you've got that saving faith. But listen, I want you to spend the rest of your life making every effort to supplement that faith. In other words, to add to that faith. Add what? He says a few things here. Virtue. With virtue... Knowledge, in other words, when you get saved, you didn't, you didn't, ever, you didn't receive all the virtue you're going to have because when you got saved, you may still have a little bit of sin hanging on, a little bit of old habits. He says, now you're going to make every effort to get rid of all of that. And then, knowledge. He says, now to your faith, I want you to add knowledge. Why? Because when you get saved, you don't automatically download the Bible like you, you know it all and understand it all. I wish it worked like that, but it doesn't. No, now you have to add knowledge to your faith. You don't know everything yet about the Bible. You don't know everything about God. You don't know everything about being a Christian. So we come to church. We read our Bible every day. We listen to podcasts. We read books. What are we doing? Making every effort to add knowledge to our faith. A lot of Christians don't do this. I, I, know, I know everybody comes and they act like they got it all together. A lot of Christians don't do this. They get saved and they have their faith and they never add anything to it. They don't work on the virtue. They just go, well, I'm saved on my way to heaven, and God, I guess God doesn't care if I live holy or not because his grace and his mercy will have to cover it. I guess I'll just ask for forgiveness when I sin. That's not what he said. He said, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And make every effort to supplement your faith with knowledge. In other words, don't just go, well, my pastor knows that stuff, you know, and I'll just go and, and he could tell me if I have a question, I'll ask him. No, you're supposed to be adding knowledge to your faith. Why? Because you're going to encounter people out in this world that need that knowledge and you can't run to somebody else more spiritual and go, hey, can you answer this question? I mean, that works in the beginning. But at a certain point after spending some years being a believer, how many of you know you ought to know your own Bible? I mean, Christians ought to know what's in the book that they're basing their life on. We ought to know. We ought to know what the Bible says about marriage. We ought to know. We ought to have knowledge about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. What the Bible says about gender and sexuality. What the Bible says about holiness. We ought to know what our Bible says. And if we don't, it's because we've not made every effort to supplement our faith with knowledge. So we have, a, we have a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding. Make every effort to supplement your faith with knowledge and knowledge with 
self-control. At the beginning of the year, we fast every day for 21 days. That's, that's what are we doing? We're making every effort to add self-control to our faith. We're supplementing it. We're, we're, we're supplementing with knowledge. We're supplementing with virtue. Now we're adding self-control. This is going to help us live disciplined. This is going to help us say no to our flesh, which short-circuits believers on a daily basis, which trips us up because instead of yielding to the Spirit, we're yielding to the flesh when we ought to be yielding to God. He says we're going to add self-control, steadfastness. What's that? That's the ability to persevere, not quit, not be a flash in the pan, not show up you know, for church for three weeks. Get, oh, I'm going to get my life right. I show up for three weeks. We'll never see you again. Not that. Steadfastness, that's perseverance, coming week after week, getting up week after week. You're in the Word. You're spending time with God. He says all of these things need to be added and supplemented to your faith. And to steadfastness, godliness. And godliness, brotherly love. A brotherly affection. And to brotherly affection, love. Now notice how strong verse 8 is. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. See, that's the spiritual journey. That's the Christian life. Okay, I've got these things. And they're increasing. Every year, I ought to be able to look at my life and go, man, I've progressed. Man, I've came in this. Man, God dealt with me on this this year. And I changed that thing. I, I, I was battling that. And that's been a part of my life for 20 years. And man, I, 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 I improved on that. I got that better. I got that right with God. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying if you're only saved, this is, this is powerful. He says if you're only saved, okay, you're just saved, but you didn't add any of these things, he said you run the risk of being ineffective and unfruitful with that salvation that you received. He said if you have these qualities and they're increasing, then that will keep you from being a Christian who just lives on this planet but is ineffective and unfruitful with that powerful revelation and knowledge that they received in their life. I don't want to be a Christian that lives on this planet ineffective and unfruitful. And there are a lot of Christians that are, in fact, ineffective and unfruitful, and it's only because they, they never have taken this process serious and realized that being saved, yes, it's enough to get you in heaven, but no, it's not enough to become useful to God. There are other things that you have to add to it. Now, I understand. I can hear the wheels turning in some people's head because, again, I'm real good friends with a lot of Christians. I could hear the wheels turning in people's head and they go, are you saying salvation's not enough? Let me just read it to you one more time. I'm not saying anything. I'm just reading the scripture. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there is a real reality that as a Christian, you can still live selfishly. And you can be ineffective and unfruitful. Because you never took this serious to add and supplement your faith with these other things. That's why he said, make every effort. Now, I've seen things in my life and in yours and others that we've made every effort with. I'm laughing right now because 
trying to decide if I should tell this story or not. Uh, my son and I, we recently got a ping pong table. And he really got serious about ping pong. And so let me just say that we've been playing so much ping pong that I can't straighten my arm out right now, okay? I'm just, if you've noticed, I've just been holding. No, I'm kidding. It's not that bad. I'm just, but it does hurt, all right? And there's other things in my life. You've probably seen things like this. Nothing wrong with having hobbies, other skills. I think that's good. Solomon was like that. You know, when the queen of Sheba came, Solomon, he knew all about animals and birds. He had all these other hobbies and things. Nothing wrong with that. But I've seen things in a person's life where they've made every effort. Okay? And I want you to think about things in your life where you've made, you devoted every ounce that you had to that thing. And you conquered it. And you, you succeeded. You achieved in that area. And ask yourself, was that thing more important than me being useful and fruitful for the kingdom of God? Because again, I'll just talk about me, cause I, but I've seen things in my life. I can get locked in, all right? And my wife knows. She talks to me about it all the time. I can get locked in on things, and I'm like, all right, I will conquer this. I will achieve this. And to other things' detriment, you know, like other things will suffer as a result. So I can get locked in on something. And there's nothing that deserves that part of you. Whatever that is in human beings to conquer, achieve, learn, grow, develop, whatever that is in human beings, there's nothing else in your life. Like if you're an expert fisherman, great. I know we live in Louisiana, great. If you're an expert hunter, if you're an expert in some subject or field, great. But if you're a Christian, whatever effort you've applied to those areas should also be applied to your Christian faith. It shouldn't be that I'm, you know, I know all this about this other thing and I, I, I can tell you everything you know and I could train others. But when it comes to my Christian faith, I'm just fledgling along and I haven't added any of these things. Well, you're not advancing. You're stagnating, if that's the case. And what Peter would say is, look, make every effort. Why? Because you need, the kingdom needs people that are effective and fruitful. I mean, just look around the world. If our nation, if, if, the, if the United States of America has slowly progressed through the decades from being a Christian nation to no longer being a Christian nation, whose fault is that? Where does the blame lie for that? And I would say there's a lot of Christians that have been passive, They've not taken this serious. And while we've been passive and just kind of on cruise control through life, our nation is changing. The world is changing. And, it's, and, it, and now it's infiltrated the church because it's not just the nation that's in bad shape. The church is in bad shape. And when I, when I look around the church at large worldwide, I see a lot of Christians, a lot of with that label that they've not done this. And, and we're seeing the fruit of it. We're seeing the cracks. We're seeing the, the damage to the foundation. Because there's a lot of churches that are empty this morning. There's a lot of people that have turned away from the faith. Some of them big name people. Turning away from God. No longer a Christian. Why? Well, because you got that little salvation thing, but then you never added anything to it. And you didn't devote. And you didn't make every effort as you, as you should have. And listen, over time, that will have consequences. 
I learned a long time ago that whatever God is doing in me is worth fighting for. It, it is worth protecting. I mean, if I, if I get a little spark, like if during the fast, you know, if we're fasting for 21 days and I get a little spark of fire in my heart, I've recognized now you've got to fight for that and you've got to protect that. That's, that's precious and that's valuable. And I'll nurture that and I'll stir that up. Like Paul told Timothy, you've got to fan that flame. If you get a little spark, you've got to fan that flame. What, what a lot of people do, they, go to a good, they get a good sermon where God touches them or they go to a conference or they go through the fast and, man, they come out on a high and they think, oh, that was great. That feels good. And then they don't change anything. And so in two weeks, they're back to the same spot. But see, those things have to be fought for. Why? Because they're more valuable, they're more precious than any earthly thing that we have. Verse 8, um, Peter's not finished with his intensity. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. So you, again, obviously he's talking about Christians. He says, yeah, you've been cleansed from your former sins, but apparently you're still blind in some way because you didn't see the need to go on past just being saved. You didn't see the need to begin working and fighting to become something that was powerful in the kingdom of God. I like to say a sharp tool in the hand of God. And I think God needs people that are sharp tools in his hand. Why do I say that? Because if you ever worked with a blunt, dull, broken tool, and you're just like, if I just had the right tool, or if this tool was just in the right shape, like a machete. You ever tried to cut something with a machete that's dull or an axe? It's like, man, if this thing was just sharp, I would have already been done. I'm having to work. I'm having to do so much extra work. And I've said this to the Lord. God, I just want to be a sharp tool in your hand that you can use to do your work and to accomplish your will and your plan. That does not happen because just you wish it would. It happens because you make a decision that I'm going to enter God's process and let him train me, let him work in me, let him clean stuff out of me, let him humble me on a daily basis. If you listen, and at salvation we all received the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That Spirit, that Holy Spirit will speak to you, will talk to you, just like in the Bible. If you will listen, God will be your personal trainer and mentor. If you'll listen to that still, small voice on the inside of you. When you go to do something you don't need to be doing, and I don't even mean sin, just you go to do something, that old selfish way of doing, thinking, you go to do it, listen to that still small voice on the inside of here. It says, you don't need to do that anymore. You go, well, I didn't feel bad about it a year ago. Well, that's because that ho the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is beginning to bring things to your attention. He's beginning to say, you don't, this doesn't need to be a part of your life anymore. I tolerated it for a time, but this needs to go. And what happens? Well, if you follow that week after week, month after month, you'll arrive at this process that we're talking about. He's your personal trainer. He'll be with you every week. If you, if you ha have ever had a personal trainer, he's not going to tell you everything you need to do on day one. It would overwhelm you. You couldn't do it anyway. 
but he'll start you where you're at, at a process, and he'll build your strength, and he'll work you up to a point, and then maybe at a year, he's telling you something new, and you go, well, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning? You've been letting me do it wrong this whole time. Yeah, because you weren't ready for it. I had so many other things I was trying to work out in you. I'm just now getting to this. That's how God is. That's how the Holy Spirit is. He'll talk to you. He'll show you. He'll, he'll convict you. Your heart will be grieved by certain things. And listen, when you feel that, yield to it. Yield to it. You may be watching something on TV, and, and for five years you watched and didn't think nothing about it. Now all of a sudden you're watching and your heart is grieved. And the worst thing you can do is begin to rationalize up here and go, oh, well, I've watched this for years. It didn't bother me. Yeah, but it bothers you now, and it's bothering you for a reason because your personal trainer is bringing it to your attention. And he's saying, this was never right, but I just wasn't talking to you about it then because either you weren't listening or you didn't care. But see, every believer has the Holy Spirit on the inside of them, and they have to listen and they have to yield to it And when you do that, God is slowly chipping away things in your life. Slowly forming, slowly molding things in your life. That is the process of growth. If you look back in your life and you go, well, that didn't bother me two years ago. Yeah, well, maybe it's because you've grown. Maybe you're more like God than you were two years ago. Maybe maybe you've listened to my preaching enough, finally, that you started getting it. I don't know. know. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you listened to a podcast. Something that you get, man... Well, that's good news because you've grown. That means you've grown. That's a good thing. But if you listen to God, he will be your personal trainer. And this is what I've learned about God. The more you listen, the more you'll hear. I don't don't think God wastes instruction. If you're not listening, why why would I tell you anything anyway? I mean, I do that as a pastor. if, If you're trying to help somebody and somebody's not listening, what's the point of wasting your time in theirs? I mean, that... But when somebody listens and they're, they're following and they're hungry to change and, they're, and you give them things, hey, man, read this, listen to this, and they do it and they follow it, man, you'll give them all the help they need and God's that way. When somebody's listening, you'll get more. You'll hear more when you listen and when you obey. You'll get and you'll hear more from him. James chapter 1, verse 2. James said it this way, Count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So remember, Peter was talking about how to add certain things to your faith, certain qualities, how to to supplement it with certain characteristics and qualities. One of the things he said was steadfastness. He specifically mentioned steadfastness. And he doesn't, Peter doesn't tell us how each one of these things are added, but we do get a little window here with James, at least how one of those qualities is added, steadfastness. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, in other words, those trials, those difficulties, they produce steadfastness. Now, this is a big revelation for Christians, and I don't care how many times I've preached this, I still hear Christians thinking wrong about this. Here's how most Christians want to get steadfastness. God... Just give me a little bit of steadfastness. God, help me persevere. I I feel like I quit too easy. God, just give me strength. That's one of our favorite prayers. God, give me strength. Give me strength to endure. Here's what I found out. Most of the qualities we need in our life, that's not how they come. And boy, wouldn't it be easy if they did? Because that's kind of like the genie on Aladdin. You know, you just rub the lamp and it, the quality, they just come. I wish it were like that. 
But a lot of the qualities that you need in your life, I'm so sorry to tell you that they don't come through prayer. I didn't get any amens on that. I guess we're still learning that. So many of the qualities that you need in your life do not come by praying for them. Okay? If you pray for patience, be careful. Be so careful. Because if you pray for patience, he will submit you to a process that will build patience in your life. If you pray for strength, which is perseverance and steadfastness, he will, he will put you in a process and in situations that will build strength and endurance. So many times, the things that we want in our life, they do not come through prayer. And I wish they did because it's so much easier. You know, just pray. Man, I could just pray and be the perfect person tomorrow. God, give me strength, give me wisdom, give me endurance, give me, you know, patience. Just go down the list. That'd be awesome. The Bible does say to pray for wisdom, so that one's okay. You can ask for that. But even wisdom, that's not the only way it comes, right? <clears throat> We're getting wisdom this morning. But it took work. You had to get up, get dressed, spank your kids, you know, come to church. That, so it's a hard process sometimes. It's not, but you're getting wisdom, but you had to work for it. And, and that's how it is. We have to, it's not, it doesn't just all come by prayer. Sometimes we have to submit ourselves to God's process. The more you know, the more mature you are, the more is expected of you. And where a baby Christian who just got saved, they might pray for something, and it's just like a miracle. It just happens. The older you get, the more wise you get, the more mature you get. It doesn't always happen like that. There's a process to it, just like your own kids, where as soon as they cried when they were a baby, the first little whine, you give them exactly what they want. Well, when they're five, hopefully, still doesn't work like that. When they're eight, 10, 12, there's more responsibility. You want that, you're going to work for it. You want that, you're going to earn it, right? Same with God. Where do you think we got all those ideas? Where do you think we got our ideas about how to be a good father and a good parent? Well, it comes from God. So when you have a baby... Yeah, first little cry, first little whine at night. You run in there, you give them the milk, you pat them, you know. But the longer you've been a Christian and the more mature you are with the Lord, the, the more that there's a process you have to submit to. And what you will find is that by submitting to that process, you will actually grow. If God just keeps giving you every little thing that you have, you're never going to grow. Just like a child would never grow if that's how we did. So there's a process that God has that we have to submit to. And that's why James told his believers that he was talking to. He said, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials. In other words, count it a joyful thing when you encounter difficulty. Because it's a process that God can use to, to add something that's valuable to your life. Something that you can't get any other way. So when you encounter this difficulty, don't look at it as a negative. Don't complain about it. Don't whine about it. Don't blast it all over social media. Don't, don't call everybody up at that needs and just whine about it. He said, when you encounter something difficult, a, a trial, he calls it, know that it's an opportunity for your faith and your character to grow and develop. Now, that doesn't mean God sent the trial, okay? So don't confuse those two things. Sometimes people think, well, if I'm supposed to count it, if it's a good thing, does that mean God brought it in my life? No, people go through all kinds of horrible things in their life that God didn't necessarily bring in their life. That doesn't mean that it's not an opportunity for you to grow. It doesn't mean that if you handle it correctly that you won't come out better on the other side. 
by, by letting God develop you and, and use that process to change you. So what we find out from this passage is that in order to have certain qualities produced in us, we have to be tested in that area. First comes the training, then comes the test. That's how it always works, right? If, if you've ever been to school or you've ever done any, you know, you get the training and then there's a test to see, did you learn? What happens if you pass the test? If you pass the test, you graduate on to the next level. What happens if you fail the test? You go back and retake it. You go back and retake the course. And I've seen many Christians that are caught in that cycle. Can't understand it. They're frustrated. They're aggravated. It's very simple. You went through this. You got the training. Didn't learn the lesson. Didn't pass the test. Start over. They go through it again. They got the training. They got the lesson. Didn't pass the test. Going again. For year after year. And then this is the kind of talk you hear them come out of their mouth. I don't understand why this stuff keeps happening to me. I am so aggravated. I keep going through this. It, is it, I, can't do, I can't take one more thing. I'm like, well, hold on a minute. Learn the lesson. Pass the test. You'll go on to something else. I kind of have bad news on that because it doesn't mean the next lesson's not going to be just as hard as that one you came out of. But at least you don't have to keep repeating the same one. All right? So, but please understand, if you see that, some people call it going round and round the mountain, round and round the mountain, round and round the mountain. I've seen this in my own life. We've all seen it in our own life. Keep hitting up a brick wall, keep going through the same thing, keep, well, yep, but you haven't learned the lesson and you haven't passed the test and you'll never move forward. There's nobody more patient than God. You're never going to, you're never going to wait God out. You know, he's not like they do in school now, like after you failed three or four days, hey, just move them on, my goodness, just get them on to the next grade. God's not like that. You'll never advance to the next level until you've passed the test. Amen. Now, here's another way of saying this that we don't always like to hear. In order to grow... You must experience pain and stretching in that area. Okay, in order to grow, you must experience pain and stretching in that area. All growth involves pain. You, can, you just can't think about anything that you grow in that doesn't cause some sort of pain. Physical body, of course, we understand that. There's growing pains. If you're trying to work out, build muscle, lots of pain involved in that, lots of uh, you know, stress involved in that, in that growing. But even knowledge, think about going to college, the cost, the financial cost of going to college, the time, four years, four plus years of your life given. There's always pain, sacrifice, and difficulty associated with growing. And this is why many people avoid it. This is why many Christians avoid growing and advancing is because it is painful and it is difficult. It is difficult. That's why the, we get these kind of exhortations from James and Peter and others to say, look, it's, it's going to be painful. The process is painful. You're, you're never going to grow with God and, not, and it not cost you something. I mean, you're, ne you're never going to advance with God and it not be painful and cost you something. If you're just expecting, like, 
I love my life. Everything's comfortable. I love my time. I love my, my free time. I, you know, I don't want to change anything, but I, I want to go forward with God. That never going to happen. It will always cost you something. God is not something that you just add to your busy life and busy schedule. And I just keep everything the same, and we're going to just add a little bit of God here, and everything's going to be fine. It's the opposite. Everything in your life gets upended. All of your priorities and your whole life gets restructured. And you structure it now and you center it around God and his purposes and his plans. And then your life gets added to that. But most people want to do it the other way around. Man, I got my life, got everything going this way. I'm just going to add a little bit of Jesus and everything will be fine. It's, it's usually the opposite. When a person really wants to advance with God, it usually requires a total restructuring of their priorities. A total restructuring of how they spend their time, where they go, where they don't go, what time they go to bed, what time they get up, what they stop watching and what they start watching, what they stop reading and what they start reading and all of that. It's just a, a whole restructuring of our life and priorities. So all growth involves a level of pain and a level of stretching. If it weren't painful and costly, more people would do it. But we don't always see a lot of people growing and developing because it is very painful and costly. Amen. Well, I still have half my sermon left. I guess I'm going to pause there. We'll finish next week. I know... I don't like to keep you too long, you know. I can see some of you glazing over. Besides, you got to chew on it for a little while, you know. Chew on it, think about it, pray on it. We'll come back next week, you know. We'll just pick up right there where we, where we left off. But I want to encourage you with this. Um, this process that we're talking about, there's no greater adventure for a Christian. You know, if, you, if you're living the Christian life and you're like, man, this Christian thing, it's, it's kind of boring, you know, just... Go to church, sing, listen to, listen to sermons. You're not doing it right. I mean, if that's how you feel, you're not doing it right. Because I'm going to tell you, living for God is one of the greatest adventures that you will ever go on. And, and if you're not getting that and you're not experiencing that, something, you're, you're not, something's not right. You haven't submitted to this process. Because there's so much more to living for God than showing up on a Sunday, singing a few songs, hearing a good sermon, and then... That's pretty much all of my God, you know, for the whole week. That, it's not supposed to be like that. If you, if you yield to this process and you let God become your personal trainer where every day he's talking to you, sh- shaping you, growing you, it'll be the greatest adventure you ever go on. And, and trust me, it may cost you something. It may be painful like we're talking about, but you will be the one who benefits most from this process. Not God, not others. They'll benefit. But trust me, you will be the one who benefits most from this process when you let God shape you and change you and develop you. Amen.